The world of ministry to teenagers can offer a full range of emotion, interesting challenges, rewarding victories, and discouraging difficulty. It is important to remember that the work we do with students is vital. It is good to be reminded that what you do matters and is appreciated. We hope that the time you spend here will encourage you and equip you to hit the mark in life and ministry. Welcome to the Scopehost Podcast, impacting youth ministry in Oklahoma and beyond. Hello and welcome to the Scopehost Podcast. I'm Andy Harrison with you today and kind of have a little bit of a different podcast this week, but we want to be able to talk to you about a subject that is permeating our youth groups and that we are definitely in need of some information on, and that is suicide prevention. And so we're, we're going to talk about that this week, and uh, I'm, I'm in studio, and we're actually recording this at Falls Creek during week seven of Falls Creek, and I've got a couple of special guests, and so I've got uh, Trish Robertson-Weber with us, and then I also have uh, Taylor Thompson, and I want them to introduce themselves and kind of tell us a little bit more about themselves. So Trish, we'll start with you, and tell us a little bit what kind of you do here at Falls Creek, and then what your role is professionally. My name is Trish Robertson-Weber, and I'm a licensed professional counselor acting as crisis therapist this summer for Falls Creek for a few weeks, and there are other therapists that are available on staff the weeks that, uh, on additional weeks. Uh, Professionally, my job here is to help students maintain when they're in a crisis level and also stabilize and evaluate so that we can get them the help and resources that they need. Okay, and on a regular basis, what what, what kind of, uh, do you have like a general group of people that you see or are you specifically working with students kind of how what do you do on a general basis professionally i work as a school counselor and manage crises and resources and guidance and and character lessons at at a school system in mustang and we're glad to have trish a part as a part of this uh, podcast she's helped us before in our okima meetings our oklahoma youth minister association meetings in regard to counseling and and uh that kind of thing and so i also have uh, taylor thompson here and taylor is on our staff taylor uh kind of talk about where you're from and what you're how you're serving at falls creek this summer um i am from kingfisher oklahoma but i live in weatherford that's where i go to college and i am serving on the cafeteria staff which is awesome it's a lot of fun well, we want to just jump right in uh, to the subject because we have hit an epidemic levels, obviously not just in uh, our nation, but in our state in terms of students who have just exercised this option of taking their own life. And so we obviously this is something that we want to prevent and to help people to, to walk out of the crisis that they're in that's, that's causing this. So just to kind of get a, a little bit of a picture on, on background of things, let me, let me run some stats by you. In the last 40 years, youth suicide rates have more than tripled, uh, which is just absolutely alarming. We lose 100 young people to suicide each week in this country, which is just devastating. And here's the interesting thing. Girls attempt suicide at a rate of over three times that of boys. And I know, Taylor, in a little bit, we're going to get to you where this is not just some subject for you. This is a personal story. So we want to hear your story here in, in just a few minutes. Uh, According to a 2015 study, one out of six have seriously considered suicide, one out of seven has actually made a plan to commit suicide, and one out of 12 has attempted suicide, which accounts for, in in all age groups across America, 4,200 average daily attempts in our country, which is just absolutely devastating. And of course, when we think about this, we don't think about, uh, I, I certainly don't want us to think about in this discussion, all these numbers out there in the United States, I want to bring it home to our our uh, local community, 
the kids that we have influence in, and and have uh, some kind of level of you know influence over and and so how do we help those students to um, deal with these issues? Uh, I want to ask you first, Trish, before we get to Taylor and her story. Uh, what are some of the contributing factors that you think have led to the, the significant rise of this issue uh, within within our state, within our communities? Part of the rise, in my opinion, is the the same year, 2009, when Apple really introduced smartphones and technology and social social media exploded for students. We began to see a rise in suicide attempts and suicide plans. I don't think that we can discount that after a decade of research. Unfortunately, we have students who are not able to communicate individually and engage in relationships that are filling and that are that are um, encouraging us to be our best, but rather we're being emptied by artificial encouragement and likes and, and on Instagram and Snap. So, so on my smartphone, the contributing factor there is obviously not just because I own some smartphone right. that that contributes to it, but obviously it has to do with the content that's there on the mm-hmm. phone. What, what do you see that's really causing that? You mentioned Snapchat and, yes. and the lack of likes, like on Instagram or something like that. Extreme boundaries or having no boundaries at all and not being able to engage even with family members when students are sitting next to each other in a group and they're texting each other rather than communicating verbally and reading I I contact and body language. That's when we really see the breakdown of engagement. There, there was, I, you know, when I was in middle school, now let me just go ahead and tell you, all right, that was like back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and stuff. But when I was back in middle school, I remember how we interacted. And it was so important, like, how do people see me? Right. What is my, what, how, are they going to see me as the athlete? Are they going to see me as the funny guy? Are they going to see me as the academic person, you know, a band person? What, you know, you're trying to find your identity. And, and now if you're doing that, if you're not exactly what someone, you know, your concept of what people like, and they somehow take what an electronic means to somehow humiliate you or denigrate you, that just compounds the problem of self-image, I suppose. Absolutely. And I would say that even more than that, the profile picture or the pictures that are posted are not the first picture. They're not the second picture. They may be the 10th picture where you can really get it just right so that you project the image that you want to project. Yeah, I remember when digital cameras uh, first came out. Someone, I read an article somewhere where someone said, "We'll no longer ever see you opening that package, pulling your pictures out again." And you know, you have the bad pictures in there too. You're okay. These aren't. I probably won't put these in a frame. Right. But these other ones, yeah. You know, these. This is the good picture. Now you sort through all that digitally and just eliminate all those, and all that's ever there is the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at everyone else's posts, you're thinking, "Man, their lives are great." Exactly. My life. Maybe not so much. So, let, uh, Taylor, let's, let's move over and talk to you a little bit. I want you to, um, you know, it's, it's so important for us to hear the stories of those who have, have, have uh, really experienced this up close and personal. So why don't you share your story with us? Um, yeah, well, I was a pretty awesome little hyperactive kid. I was really deviant little optimistic child but around the age of eight that kind of changed in my life and I'm not sure why but it was like all of a sudden I had this weird hole in my heart and I felt lonely more than anything else and it was like the more this hole in my heart craved to be filled it was like the more magnified any other emotion I felt was like sadness loneliness just hurting and I I struggled so bad with that and I got around my 
middle school high school years and I started just trying to do whatever I could just to fill this hole and cover it up as it just continued to grow inside of me and I began to self-harm around those ages and I did it frequently and I did it a lot and it helped a little bit but it just it could not fill this hole inside of me and as I got into my senior year of high school it was like I was no longer having this hole growing but it had just completely engulfed me and I was trapped and I was stuck and I didn't know what to do and I actually made a plan my high school year I was like I want to finish out softball because it was one thing that I just been determined to finish and I was like but if something doesn't get better at the end of this year I did not want to live to see 2017 I wasn't going to go through another year trapped so I made a plan I had a place I knew what I was going to do and I was ready and around that time around August I was introduced to my youth pastor and he invited me to church several times and I made all the excuses like no homework practice I can't go and finally I gave in and I was like why not try it and I did and I did not like it because God just kind of spoke to me there and he was telling me like he was drawing me in he was like Taylor I know you're hurting I know you're broken and he's like and I just want you to know that I love you even though you're hurt and even though you're broken, but I don't want to leave you like that. He was like, I want to, I want to get you out of that. I want to bring you from that and I want to strengthen you and you don't have to hold that anymore. I, I'm here for you. And so around September 11, 2016, I surrendered my life to Jesus and things didn't get immediately easier, but it was like I was no longer empty and I was no longer having to deal with as much weight as I felt like I was before because I had God on my side fighting for me and strengthening me through that. And he was able to bring me out of it. And I spent that Sunday of January 1st, 2017, sitting in a church pew, listening to how amazing God is bringing me out of that and how awesome it is and what he's doing in everyone's lives around us and stuff. And that was just one of the coolest things. And yeah, I've been able to use my story, although it was rough in the start and everything. God's used it in an amazing way for me. Now, when, when I'm so grateful that God stepped yes. into your life when mm-hmm. He did, so that um, your your story is one that's Victory. that is uplifting and encouraging, can, can help other people see that there is uh, better things on the other side of this decision that was once made. Um, let me ask you this: uh, you know, when you're sitting there telling that story, I'm thinking. It sounds like for her, these struggles were more internal than anything external. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about kind of what's, what was going on. Well, I kind of, when I was eight, when those struggles started happening, there my parents were separated. And so something that really happened with that is like, as an eight-year-old little kid, you know, you kind of crave that attention. And with the difficulties of all the family stuff that we had going on and just kind of like me thinking I was by myself in it, even though I have siblings and stuff, I just kind of told myself like, you know, no one understands. And I was like, so sure that I was alone. I let myself be alone. And I kind of shut the door to let anybody in. And I purposely isolated myself because I was so sure no one else would understand. I know people go through the same things I went through, but I was like, they won't understand my situation like I'm different and so I had a lot of like yeah I had a lot of internal struggles with that and not letting anybody in even though I needed someone in so and those are very common lies Mm -hmm. that people that experience the suicidal ideation believe unfortunately that's the place where where they are the whatever has happened that's a trigger 
tells them lies that they start to believe. I'm alone, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm worthless, I'm invisible. So when they feel that way, then those thoughts, excuse me, when those thoughts are there, then their feelings follow quickly after. Well, I'm not worthy, I'm ashamed, I'm insecure, I'm not confident. And then that follows, that influences their behavior, which is isolation, internal internal angst, withdrawing from other engagements, withdrawing from relationships and, and making that isolation even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you, uh, how do you pierce that wall, Trish? I mean, uh, when you, when you, and, and now, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute too. Some of the warning signs that we see, obviously the withdrawal becomes something that if you, if anyone that's around that person is some kind of friend or family member sees that level of withdrawal, obviously it's like, okay, something's not right here. But what what ways can we um, ha- or do we have to reach out and just try to pierce that wall? Because you know what, it's like putting on these glasses. Like I put on glasses, that have yellow lenses, everything appears yellow through it. Right. And so once we put on that kind of a, that feeling about ourselves, well, then we see everything and interpret everything that comes our way through that lens. And boy, that can be so destructive. That is exactly right. From a psychological standpoint, we're going to talk about thought stopping awareness first that you're having these thoughts that are not accurate. In your eight-year-old mind, you might have believed that you in some way created this separation from your parents. In your own mind, you might have tried to rationalize the hard things that are happening when there's not anything to rationalize. You didn't create the situation. You didn't compound the situation. You're a victim of the consequences of other people's choices. And as a result, then all of those feelings follow. So thought stopping is the primary psychological way to keep that from becoming engulfing. First, recognize that you have that thought. Second, be able to stop it. And third, replace it with something that's positive and that's the truth. From a spiritual standpoint, if you're a believer, that's where scripture memory comes in. What is your identity in Christ? Matthew 10, 30 says, um, the very hair on your head are numbered. That's something only God can do. When you're asleep, you can't make yourself breathe. That's the creator of the universe doing that. Uh, Psalms 139 refers to how he thinks of us more than there are grains of sand on the beach. And that's not something we can understand in our human minds. But then even more powerfully, he gives us thought process direction. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, part B says, take every thought captive according to the will of God. And that's the power verse. You don't have to just float with whatever thoughts are there. Philippians 4, the whole chapter is amazing. Be anxious for nothing. Think on things that are pure. Think on things that are holy. Think on things that are just. Against such, there is no law. Yeah, it's listen, if you're out there listening to this podcast and, 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 and you could be a student, you could be an adult, and you're dealing with these issues, these are great things for you here because, listen, you may at some point have that thought in your mind. No, no one understands. Mm-hmm. But right now, just know that you're telling yourself something that's just not true. And so you have to reprogram and say, let's go back and see what the Scripture really says about me exactly. and, and, and uh, get the truth right. instead of what I've been feeling, what I've been experiencing. Now, let's talk a little bit about it's like warning signs. Now, Taylor, you said that... Um, that you, know, you you've mentioned I know that uh, when we were talking about this podcast and you coming to being on it that there were some people around you who never saw and never knew. Uh, would you say that you exhibited warning signs and they just missed them, or uh, would you say that you tried to cover them pretty well? I mean, what 
how would you describe that? Um, I would definitely say that I for sure had warning signs, but at the same time, I did try and hide them too, especially for certain people. Like it was like, you know, I really wanted like someone to notice, but at the same time it was like, I also didn't want just everyone to know. And so I was pretty well at hiding it. But I feel like one of the biggest issues with people not noticing is the lie that we believe that that doesn't happen here. Like, I feel like I know that when I talked in front of my youth group and stuff, and I told my story, I was like, we like to think that we live in the one place that is okay and that's good and so we like to look around and think no they're not going through that rough of a time like I know for sure like I had a really big change when I went to high school and I started wearing you know darker longer heavier clothes and like I did kind of act a little different I withdrew from my sports and stuff I wasn't as into it as I used to be and I did show a lot of signs and I my scars were visible occasionally and I I did have a lot of that but I feel like we're so focused on thinking like yeah, that's not happening. Like, there's no way, like, that can't be real. Like, that doesn't happen here. And like, that doesn't happen in this town. And so I feel like one of the big things is just being more aware because it happens everywhere. And there are people all around and it can be the people that you expect the least that are just struggling with something like that. That is, that is one of those issues that comes about with our society today. We're so self-absorbed that we don't, we don't even have the self-awareness to, to, to get our eyes off us, you yes. know, and get it on somebody else. I, I tell you, one of the things that as a youth pastor, I would always notice when, when students would come into my room and uh, our youth room on Wednesday night or Sunday morning into the Sunday school area or whatever, you, a kid could walk through the door and immediately I know, okay, something's not right right here because they always had a certain, you know, kind of a personality about themselves and an aura and you, and you see it and it's like, that's not right. Something's different. And I always, I always had to tell myself, you can't just let that go. Go ask. And if they go, oh, no, it's nothing. No, I just, you know, I, my parents and I uh, had a tiff out at the car. I, okay, good. Or, I mean, I mean, not good that you had a tiff. But, you know, hey, listen, at least now I know what the, the reason is. I read that right. I think it's so important that we, that we see that and intervene, Trish. Absolutely it is. Anyone that comes in, you read their body language before anything else, and you can tell where they are just by their body language, eye contact, and the way they respond to you. If there's not a smile when you say hi, that's an indicator of something. They've got something on their mind. They're super busy. But you're reading all of those things um, the moment that you see them. You have friends, too, as well. as like if you're, if you're in a high school student right now, listen to this, and you have friends. Listen, sometimes you don't want to say anything because that's your friend. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it alone. Or you might say something to them, and they rebuff you a little bit. And so then it's like, okay, I'm not going to go back to that again. But if you continue to see those same things, Taylor, what would be your advice to that person? Um, if you see it. Well, I feel like personally for me, I know for a fact that I really just needed someone to be there. And so like I felt real invisible too. And so if you see a friend or something just struggling with that, and I mean this very strongly when I say don't just send them a text and say, hey, are you okay? Because anyone from across the computer screen or across the cell phone can say, yeah, I'm fine without you even having to, and you can just be like, okay, and blow it off. But if they're really struggling and stuff, normally you can see it in their eyes and you can you can feel it in your heart too. And so my advice to you would be to go to them and to face to face, sit down, talk to them and ask them, how are you doing? Say, listen, I don't want to like, I don't want this to affect you and I don't want this to upset you, but I've noticed that you are not, you're not being you. Are you okay? Can I help you? Can we talk about this? And just open up to them and let them know that someone's there for them because that's something that a lot of people really need. Let's talk about some of those warning signs and we'll start with the ones that are a little more obvious. I mean, obviously a uh, an actual suicide threat 
you know, what they say, I, I, or, or if they're legitimate and they're, you know, the, they seem serious when they say, I, I'd, I'd be better off dead. Or you won't have me around, around much longer to, to, to bother with. Mm-hmm. Those kind of things, whenever there's an obvious uh, threat that they're going to harm themselves, Trish, what do, what do we need to do when we hear that response? If you're a peer, that's the time to find an adult that you know cares, that might have the, the answer to what to do next. Find a school counselor, find a youth pastor, find your pastor, find a parent, someone that you can talk to that will understand that this is a se- severe situation. If you are the youth pastor, that's time to contact um, a professional mental health licensed professional counselor, a mental health professional, go to any emergency room and they should have a strategy for evaluating whether or not the student is in danger or what needs to happen next. And under no circumstances do you ever promise ever. to hold someone's suicide threat as like a confidential thing. Ever. At that point, you have to get with someone, report that, and, and make it known. And I think you need to tell a person, listen, if you if they're getting ready to tell you something, they go, I want to tell you this, and it's really confidential. This is just a whole thing on confidentiality yes. now you have to say well wait a minute if you tell me something that is either you know you're illegal or you're going to harm yourself i want you to know i'm going to have to tell someone exactly and i think it's so important to do that up front i absolutely do as well because then it's a betrayal of trust if you don't give them that warning and they tell everything and then they don't understand that next you have to do something about it all right let's talk some of the less obvious you know when people are dealing with pr- depression the, the whole uh um, issue with depression those things are not always so obvious. And so, I mean, it takes a keen eye to do that. And I think we just need to train ourselves to be looking for some of those things. Um, But you you mentioned some of them, Taylor, when you're talking about, you know, withdrawal on certain things, like I'm not necessarily connecting with people the same level, or I'm committed to this sport, but maybe I'm not into it as much as Mm -hmm. normal. What what would you say are some of those things that you saw in your life or can look back on and say, yeah, that was... Yeah, it was definitely a lot of warning signs with my, like when I look back on it, like I went to different clothing for sure and my withdrawal from that and I became, I had lack of interest more with like going out with my friends and stuff. We I got a little more distant about things like that. And something else that I started to do is I started having little like ticks that I did. Like I would, I started to like bite my nails really, really bad and I like would snap rubber bands and like I would do things that like you could pick up that something just kind of wasn't easy like there was something on my mind that just wasn't helpful and stuff so being able to kind of notice if someone's like fidgeting more than normal or just like if you know them that well and you're just like that is not something that they normally act like that's not something they normally do that was something for me now if you were when you self-harmed was it something that you were able to hide or was it something that someone could have noticed if they were paying attention I hit it pretty well in the beginning but as I continued to just kind of really start to need help I let myself start making it a lot more noticeable. I started putting it more like on my arms and stuff and I would wear short sleeves occasionally. Like you could you could see it. And I had people that would notice, but I never had people that wanted to talk to me about it. Not even one of my best friends. She noticed during a softball game when I moved uh, our little like notepad things that are on our arms. I moved it and she saw it because my Band-Aids came off and she didn't say anything. But when I finally told her, she was like, yeah. I, she was like, yeah, I saw it. And I just, I didn't know what to do. And I was like... That was when I kind of was also like, man, people really need to start learning about this. Like, Right, sure. Exactly. Um, Trish, what are the, if there's one or two that you can mention off the top of your head, and I'm just catching you off guard here really, but uh, that are subtle warning signs that almost always surface 
Do you see any? I mean, because we talk about an attitude change or maybe a change in friends from this set of friends to this set of friends. Maybe it's even as subtle as uh, eating habits changing. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. It could be something like activity changes. You you drop a sport, you you don't take something up in its place. It could be that you're sleeping 10, 12 hours a day. It could be that you're trying to stay up all night and not really get good rest and take care of your body. But it also could be that you're sleeping 12 hours a day and you can't wake. Uh, the feeling... Lots of people have described this feeling of heaviness that they just can't get out of bed in the morning. They don't see a reason. They don't have their purpose. They feel like they are being weighted down and just can't get out of bed. If, if we're looking then at and moving on to the, the last part of this that we really want to discuss is uh, prevention. You know, how do we step in and, and help prevent these type of things from happening? Obviously, what we just talked about, warning signs, is one of the things, learn the warning signs, start looking for those things and be more aware. Um, you, you also want to uh, dispel myths, you know, um, and, and one of the myths is that, you know, suicide just happens. Suicide doesn't just happen. I mean, it, it needs to be discussed. When you have to talk about it, it's kind of like one of the things is if we talk about suicide, then suicide is going to happen more. You, you, you want to address that? Sure. That's one of the things that we, as, as a church, have kind of avoided just because it's touchy. We don't know exactly what to say. But the main thing is just to love people. That's, that's our second greatest command, love people. And that means being in tune with where they are and connecting with them with hospitality and engagement and relation and being willing to get, willing to get your hands hands dirty and your heart broken over what's happening with someone else. And of course, I think one of the, we just mentioned this as well, in the midst of seeing the warning signs, we have to speak up and, and get that the word out. Um, because even if that person responds negatively at the moment, that they don't like that this, that they're, this is getting going to disrupt who they are, they thought they they thought that they could at least say this with one person and it wouldn't change all the things that's going on in their life. If we can step in and somehow save their life, yes. let, let, the, let the thank you come down the road if it comes down mm-hmm. the road. And don't worry about the, the, the angst you may have to deal with today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, how, would, how would you speak to that, Taylor, especially having gone through this? Well, I would definitely, I definitely encourage it being like spoken about more and everything because I actually like I went through all this and I had a plan and everything and my youth pastor didn't even find out until he was asked to do the breakout and he brought it to me and he said yeah we're talking about suicide and he was like and the struggles with that and depression and everything and I looked at him and I was like yeah I, I, I was there and he just he was like really and I was like and it was a year after I'd been saved and everything and he was just like oh my gosh like I didn't even know and I'm like yeah it's like I didn't want to tell anybody because I it's looked it's like looked at as such this thing that's just can't be spoken about. It's like this hidden secret we're not allowed to talk about. And it's like it's crazy how many people affect it and how many people I've had like just at the breakouts lately and stuff come up and talk to me and be like, Listen, like I've gone through it. I've struggling with it now and me be, me me being able to like talk to them and pray with them about it and stuff. I just feel like if we could just make it something that's not something just to like hide and pretend doesn't happen and actually just let it be known and talk about it people will come forward. They want to be helped. Like, Part of it is that there's a still a stigma with things that we can't see as illness. And 
instead of looking at things that are hard for us as a mental illness, I think we ought to really look at mental health. Are we as healthy as we possibly can be? And what do we need to do to fix that part or change that part or affect it? We know all about diet and exercise, but do we really talk about how to be mentally Mm -hmm. healthy? Yeah, and almost every single person probably entertains at some point in their life a a suicidal thought. But because we then dismiss it, when we see someone who's actually struggling with it, we have no idea how, yeah, what to do and how to respond. Mm-hmm. But we need to look for those warning signs, and then we need to intervene in the life, and we need to make sure, especially uh, if they've shown that they, they're talking about actual attempt to, to alert authorities, get someone involved so that um, that person can get the help they need. We take every single threat seriously so that we can deal with that. And, and one of the things, too, I, and I, um, in, in teaching this week at Falls Creek, by the way, one of the, one of the, the scriptures we talk about is in the Gospel of John, and Jesus is talking and said, hey, shortly you guys are going to leave me. He's talking to his disciples. He said, when you leave me, you're going to abandon me and, and leave me alone. But even then, I am not alone because the Father's with me. Mm-hmm. So yes. if, you're, if you're in earshot of this podcast and, you're, and, and, and listening to this, know this, that even on a day when you were at your absolute, you feel absolutely alone, no one else with you. Listen, uh, Jesus Christ is there, yes. and you can turn to him. And he can change your life. Yes. Uh, Taylor would testify to this, certainly, uh, and, uh, and we all could, that Jesus makes a difference. And, um, and I want you to know, too, that uh, and we encourage everyone who's he- able to hear this as well, that we need to love people better, yes. as Trish is mentioning. So we need to be th- that physical Jesus that people encounter that would love them and, and, and be involved in their life and help them to get past the situations that would bring about uh, this uh, horrible epidemic that's in our, our in our communities. Well, I want to thank you ladies for being a part of this podcast today. I'm hopeful that um, when people hear this, they'll say, hey, I've got to start being more aware of this. And we'll begin to address these issues, not only in their youth groups um, on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, but maybe they'll get involved with their schools and find a way to, to become a part of what's going on in the school systems to help with suicide prevention yes. as well. Because we want to do everything we can as, as people who are ministers of the gospel to help people to hang on to life and to seek the Lord and to follow Him. So, Taylor, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. And Trish, thank you as well for being sure. with us and all that you do at Falls Creek. We're so grateful to have you as a part of what we do here at Falls Creek. All right, to everyone listening to the School Post podcast, uh, we're just trying to help you hit the mark in life and ministry, and we'll see you next time. Next time on Scopos. Personal philosophy of preaching specifically towards students. I, I think these principles are probably pretty broad, but I want to focus specifically on student ministry. I think there's three primary things that I, I want to try to think Scopos and the Scopos Podcast are ministries of the BGCO and made available through the generous gifts of Oklahoma Baptists to the cooperative program. Find out more about Oklahoma Youth Ministry at scopos.org.